Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, for anyone who's just arrived, I'm Margaret Kelleher, Chair of the Board of the IFI, and very pleased to see you here. Uh, we've had a great morning, very rich morning, and again, a reminder that uh, today's proceedings are being recorded, and I think a number of people are asking about the PowerPoints, so they will be available on the website. Uh, so just to let you know about that. Uh, we have a two-part afternoon, as you can see, uh, a session beginning coping with co-production, and then an exit interview, James Sickley in conversation with Hugh Lenehan. Uh, for the first part of this afternoon, I'm going to in introduce our chair, um, who will give us a short uh, PowerPoint presentation, uh, and then we'll invite uh, the other members uh, of the panel uh, to join him. It's a particular pleasure to welcome um, in this forum um, Niall Murphy. Niall is founder and managing editor of Irish film and TV industry publication Scanon, which celebrates its 10th anniversary this year. Um, many of us I know uh, really welcome and uh, continue to be informed uh, by the work of Scanon. So I think it, it is a great pleasure uh, to welcome Niall from behind the scenes, so to speak, uh, to the forum here. And also want to express our congratulations. He was recently appointed Head of Business Affairs at Irish Film and TV production company Treasure Entertainment, following more than a decade in the Irish financial services industry. So please join me in welcoming Niall. There we go. So I went uh, green, white, and orange because I was being very patriotic with the slides. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I mean, co-production is probably the, the biggest industry driver that there is. So in terms of the Irish film industry, it would really wouldn't exist without uh, without the co-productions that we do. Being a small European nation, being a small nation in general, but small European nations tend to rely on co-production as our sort of principal model for filmmaking because. I mean, the film board, or Screen Ireland, can have a limited budget and they can only give a certain amount of a film's budget uh, up front. So in order to make anything at any scale, you have to bring in partners. There's absolutely no way around it. And so we tend to do very well in Ireland in we have certain treaties that come into play. So we're being a member of the EU, we are party to the European Convention on Cinematography Co-Production, which means that we can we can go into a partnership with any other EU country and a number of the EEA member states. Then we have bilateral co-productions with Canada, Australia, New Zealand and South Africa and Luxembourg. Surprisingly, that is the only one that we have within the EU EEA sphere. Other countries have far, man, far many more. Luxembourg in particular has about 20 of them. They seem to partner with everyone and they are one of our biggest uh, co-producing partners. One of the very interesting things that Luxembourg has done recently, and in conjunction with Ireland, and it's, a great, it's a great new initiative, is there is a new development fund that's been put in place between the two countries for female-led talent. So it follows on from the panel that we had earlier. It's a development fund with both sides matching the, the money that will be put up for development of projects that are co-productions between Ireland and Luxembourg. So that's just an example of where we're going how we're moving forward with our European neighbours, especially in the light of what's happening in the UK. So it's great that we, it, being an EU member state is very beneficial, so especially 
in light of what's happening in the UK. Um, so, so on screen Ireland's slate, there's 16 Irish features. This is up from the uh, the book that from the Screen Ireland uh, book that they produce every year, the publication that says what they're doing. So from 2018, there was 16 Irish features, five creative co-productions, 13 feature docs, and five animated TV series. So the 16 Irish features include. Irish-led projects that are co that were co-produced in other uh, countries. The five creative co-productions then come the other way from outside in, with uh, and where we're uh, we're one of the parties to it. And then the, the feature docs tend to be within Ireland itself, and the animated TV series. Animation in general is by far and away the most global thing that we do. We Ireland is a huge animation base, and we do an awful lot of work with foreign. Uh, the foreign part, uh, counterparties in in that sphere. A similar picture from this year: 15 Irish features, just five create co-productions again, 17 docs. We went higher on the docs this time, and then a six animated TV show. So these these tend to be. I mean, this is our, our principal activity, and but it's not just the case that we are that when you see Irish feature, it is an Irish necessarily an Irish project. Um, which is which Roddy and Tony were talking to earlier with like the likes of Room or Brooklyn with our um, the Little Stranger would be Irish projects, but not not necessarily Irish stories. Um, then bring down the funding decision that they made that Screen Arm made in the last two years in 2017, 6.26 million went to our, went to Irish corporates. This is production funding alone. I I stripped out development funding. And then 1.45 million went to create co-productions, and then it's a it's a similar sort of situation in 2018 in terms of the the Irish co-productions, and there were fewer uh, create co-productions. So I then I'm looking at some of the things that we've done in terms of uh, being co-produced co films or films that might not necessarily Black Forest Seven is definitely an Irish film, but made with, as was stated earlier, with Australian cast members in the lead. We also had, it was, a portion of it was filmed in Luxembourg, post-production as well, and then there was Belgian uh, funding as well as American money and to make up essentially 10 million of a budget, which you just couldn't do here. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not feasible to, to back a film at that scale with just Irish money. Then the favourite is, is an instance where the Irish, the production company is Irish, but that's kind of incidental to the to the fact to to how the film is made. The fact that that element, our producers gives us a, an in to it, and to to be able to say yes, it's an Irish film, but there's nothing about its context, about its content, or about the key creatives on the ground that were Irish, other than Ed Gainey and Andrew Lowe leading it. Then uh, Greta is an example of. Irish director, American money, filming in Ireland. Uh, so it's, it's also a case where that's an international story, but it was a case that was filmed here, and uh, through uh, Screen Ireland's inward development, they turned uh, Dublin into New York. And rather convincingly so, which is, uh, which is good to see. Rather than, because Ireland tends to play kind of Victorian England or anywhere where, when we're our uh, far-flung islands in... Uh, our islands tend to play planets in Star Wars and the likes. But then these ones are also instances where we've had Irish stories, Irish creatives. And so in the case of The Hole in the Ground, that also filmed in Belgium. The, and then the, the Cured had money that came from abroad. They had France as one of their 
produces, and then Maudie was a Canadian co-production, Canadian story set in Canada, Irish director, Irish production company. So it's the case that we we have we've utilised an awful lot of our uh, our industry partners and the, the treaties that we have in place to essentially tell as many stories as we possibly can. Screen Ireland have done great work in this area in that the number of film output in Ireland has been growing year on year and the industry is continually growing despite the fact that there has been significant financial constraints. Those financial constraints led to the need to go down the co-production alley essentially and, it's, and it's, it's common across our European partners to see that. We will never get to the stage where we're producing the amount of films that France does, where it produces about 600 a year. It's absolutely crazy, the numbers that they do, and they have a completely different funding model. But we would look to countries of comparable size, like Denmark or Belgium, or uh, to a lesser extent the Netherlands, and look at what they're doing. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's essentially, that's just a, a brief overview of things. So now I'm going to introduce our panel. So from uh, Ardmore and Troy, the CEO of those two studios here in Ireland, we have Sue Neuralic, who uh, has, she's been working for 30 years in the industry. She's been involved at TG Cahir and with motion films over in, in Galway, as well as the Galway Film Flat. Um, we then have uh, David Collins, who is the MD of uh, Samson Films, and they are one of our currently most prolific uh, companies involved in co-production, in the co-production space. In Ireland, they have uh, they've produced a number of, of really high-quality films that have been originated here and abroad. So he's very much of interest here. And then we have uh, uh, Samantha Pereira. Sorry, Pereira. Sorry, yes. Uh, that, yeah, I was struggling with that one earlier, and I knew I'd get it wrong. Um, who is coming over from uh, from the UK? So you know, yeah, give her a break. <laughs> Yes, he's with the British Film Commission there. And then we have Stephen Davenport, the Inward Development Officer for uh, Screen Ireland, who is responsible for talking with the foreign companies who are coming in here to Ireland to co-produce. And uh, finally, we have Fionnán Higgins, who's coming from uh, Wimble Lane. And, they, uh, to, and he's uh, ex extensively experienced in audio post-production. to uh, pick up with a nice easy question. Uh, why would anyone come here to uh, produce, go produce a, a film with Ireland? Stephen. Uh, hello everybody. Um, so I, th I think there's kind of four areas where I think Ireland is, uh, you know, that is how we market Ireland abroad and how we can uh, attract some of the bigger productions in. I suppose that one is our expertise. We've been making films for a long time. Started off with the service work coming in from the States, you know, like The Quiet Man, Saving Private Ryan, Braveheart. And then we've also had our own own IP, some of the projects you named earlier on. So we've had our own indigenous industry as well as doing the service work for international stuff. And that created this really groundwork of this Irish talent and the funding of the film board and, and the VAI in the, in the past, that allowed uh, 
Irish uh, storytellers to get a chance to make their own films and making their own uh, um, uh, uh, stories getting out there in the world. And I think that developed the expertise would also give the opportunity to uh, Irish actors to get involved, uh, Irish camera people to shoot, uh, uh, to shoot, and all uh, right across the board from uh, wardrobe, makeup artists, construction people, they all got a chance to work in these uh, different levels of projects and different scales of projects. And that gave us this really bedrock of uh, expertise. Um, second to that has got to be our uh, fantastic locations, uh, as you mentioned earlier on, that we have a, uh, we don't just play Ireland, we don't, aren't just the twee cottage in an Irish field that we used to do, we play uh, many, many other uh, styles like the, the, the Scottish Highlands and Braveheart, uh, uh, Scandinavian settlements and Vikings and, and so on, our, our kind of bread and butter and that is the, is, the, is the British kind of landscape and British period dramas as well, so it's very easy to shoot in Ireland uh, and, uh, and do that type of project. Um, so we're diverse locations, uh, our expertise, our tax credit, uh, which is one, one of the strongest in Europe, it's, uh, it's at 32% uh, and we're waiting on uh, hopefully uh, news of a 5% regional uplift in Ireland. But if you compare that to the British tax credit, it's at 25%. It's also available uh, on, uh, so the minimum spend is 125,000. So it's a very low entry point. Uh, unlike TV in Britain, it starts at 1 million per episode. Um, sorry, it's just easy to compare to, the, to our nearest neighbor in a sense, uh, as a comparison. Uh, and it also, it encourages production to come to Ireland. And I think that's where it's a very, it's a very good tax incentive. And it's not just uh, for shooting, you can come for post and effects which also covers uh, you can you can get 32 percent return on that as well so so uh, with, with the tax credit it gives that another foundation for this uh, 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 development of of industry in ireland that makes us a very strong uh, uh, opportunity and then finally it's the infrastructure that keeps all that together uh, what what uh, is here from uh, troy and ardmore uh, troy is the newest kind of development of studios which is now putting us into this next level of uh, production with these big international dramas with night flyers last year uh, we've had vikings going on in Ashford in, in Wicklow for the last six years and it's that those kind of scale of infrastructure that's there that's been developed that will allow these big international productions to come along and I think if anything we need more and more of these kind of scale uh, and also training more crew to develop that more for the infrastructure and then also having the facilities to back that up you can come to Ireland and you don't need to bring anything with you you've got the you've got your, your truck rental here you've got your costume hire here you've got your props hire so it's all here in the one space so with the four of those items uh, so it's the expertise our uh, uh, amazing locations and diversity of those, our very strong tax credit and our uh, infrastructure. I think that's the, the four reasons why people come. And it's also, the Irish producer is very uh, accommodating. We're a nice bunch of people. <laughs> we're, uh, we're very friendly and we're very easy to get on with in a sense. And I think that also really opens the opportunity for co-production abroad, yeah? And so, Samantha, then what would you see that we do differently than the UK do in that sort of attracting foreign investment yeah. um, well I think I think you nailed it there that ecosystem both the indigenous talents um, and um, as regards um, the training ground for talent obviously we have the BBC when that's still very prevalent as regards bringing through the creatives and the, the crew um, this, this yeah. um, but then absolutely agree the inf it's got to be the the whole you need the whole equation so you need the talent both on screen and behind the camera you need the infrastructure um, and you know stage space is um, at a premium in the UK well I think in, in all the major production destinations in Europe certainly it's uh, it's definitely an issue and um, we'll probably come on to that later um, the tax reliefs are absolutely key 
what we always say is um, all we strive for really is a level playing field with major competitors. Uh, given that level playing field, people will come because of the infrastructure, because of the talent, because of the crew. Um, what we've also had due to um, the high-end television tax relief coming in, um, uh, which, which was noted there, was since 2013, our industry was really London-centric previously. There were big US studio features, and then the only projects that were shooting in the regions and nations of the UK tended to be the indigenous, in, independent, domestic projects. Since the high-end TV tax relief came in, we now have all our biggest TV shows in the nations of the UK. So obviously we've got Game of Thrones and Krypton in Northern Ireland. We've got Outlander up in Scotland. We had Outlaw King there. Um, the southwest of England now, we have a huge amount of costume dramas. We have um, lots of stars projects and The Spanish Princess. Um, and that was a, a project, the, the first one in the series, um, shot out in, in Belgium. And the tax relief enabled us to bring that that back home because it was a, a, a naturally British story. Um, North, the Northwest, which is the heartland of, um, of British drama anyway, but that's been able to open up. They've now got a big studio there. Um, and of course, Wales. And in addition to the tax reliefs, um, I won't go into a tax relief off with you, <laughs> but um, there, you've got the local uplifts. So um, whether it be a grant-based system or a repayable, um, a repayable loan, um, it's, it's that additional attraction to take projects out, out of the uh, outside London. Obviously, it's still a huge amount of projects in London, and all our big, big studio facilities are still based around London, Pinewood, Shepparton, Leavesden Studios, etc. But that ecosystem that you talked about, you know, the, the, the indigenous projects, um, along with the huge incoming projects, is what's key. Um, if we, you, you need those smaller projects to come in, you need that training ground for the crew. Um, so I completely agree with my colleague here that it's, it has to be a full ecosystem. One thing I just wanted to add, actually, because I'm hoping that there are lots of people that, if they haven't co-produced already with the UK, that they would, would aspire to. Even after Brexit, when if, in whatever shape it may take, God help us, um, we will still be part of the European Convention. The European Convention is based on the Council of Europe. We will not be leaving the Council of Europe. We will be leaving the EU, um, but we will still be signed up to the, to the, uh, European, the European Convention. Yeah. Um, so worth noting, we'll still be able to co-produce with Ireland. The other thing to note is um, the way the majority of our projects qualify um, as British, and that includes some kind of non-treaty UK Irish projects like Favourite, for example, um, as you say, Irish creatives, and it was um, Irish producers shot in, in Hatfield House in the southeast of England, qualified as a, a British project by something called the Cultural Test. Um, and at the moment, that's about European content, European cast and crew. It's our test, it's, it's um, the UK government's test, it's not a European test, um, and we are choosing to keep that as European. So European projects, European cast crew, will still qualify. So worth noting, we will still be aspiring to co-produce with Ireland post-Brexit, if and when it happens. And our tax relief, which is also our um, primary UK legislation, will also be impacted. So we hope to remain an attractive co-producing co partner, both through treaties, but also the vast majority of our projects are non-treaty. They're just production service agreements. And Star Wars is a great example of that. Qualified as British. Um, for the British tax reliefs qualified for um, Irish incentives, no treaty. The US doesn't want to use treaties. Um, and we make it work, and ultimately, um, 
we're a very, very resourceful industry, and I mean that globally. So we will uh, certainly continue to, to work together. That's great. Um, David, what do you see then when you go abroad to pitch Ireland as a location to come to work with? How do you feel that our international partners sure. react? Well, I don't pitch Ireland as a location. Okay. So I suppose that's the first point. Right, okay. Because I think that there's a difference between a service production mm -hmm. and a co-production. So I think it's fantastic everything that's happening in the service production. But in the service production, you are there to as it were, like orchestrate all of the arrangements and the circumstances to maximize the benefit that an incoming production can get. And that's called co-production, but it's, that's one part of it. The stuff I do is like creative co-productions. So I might be approached by somebody who has a project to say, I'm thinking of shooting it in Ireland. So my first yeah, okay. question is, can I trust this person? That is actually the first question. And then the second question is, can I add value? And that value is sometimes money, and it is sometimes a creative approach to the material, which might be about locations, like yes, there's a particular island that might really suit this. It could be money, it could be just our tax break, or maybe there's a possibility of getting Screen Ireland involved in it, and maybe there's a possibility of, through getting Screen Ireland involved in it, kind of validating that at a European level and going for funding perhaps from other European sources like Eurimage or something like that. So I'd be looking at projects around the you know, 1.2 to 3 million euro range. That's, my, that's what I tend to sort of do. Um, so, the, so, so the first thing is, can I add value? And more often than not, I mean, there's, well, there's quite a lot of projects that might come to me with a plausible finance plan, but there's no way I'm going to add value to that project. Because there's a lot of projects floating around every year where people are chasing a deal. And the worst thing you can do as a, as a producer is to film a deal. You need to make a film. And there is a subtle kind of difference between these things. Also, Ireland, we're not a cheap date. <laughs> I'm not a cheap date, but the crews aren't cheap, so you need to think about, I'm, they are very sort of effective, but across Europe you get like a far better deal in Romania or Poland than you would in Ireland. So what you have to do in a sense is analyse the project, and that's what's kind of exciting about it, at a creative level, you're trying to find a way in which maybe this would work, you know. Like sort of recently, we did quite a quite a low budget production with an Eastern European country. As it happened, the story was kind of set in Ireland, but the kind of language was there was an Eastern European language of the film and English. But we were looking at shooting part of the film on a set in Dublin. It was cheaper for us to build that set in Lithuania, as it sort of turned out, and bring our cast over there to shoot there, just for that piece of the film. Now, it was a Lithuanian cast, so there wasn't a lot of sort of chewing and throwing. And that made sense from our tax incentive and for the funders there. So sometimes, so I think that from a creative point of view, there's just one question, how do you add value? And that value can be money, 
or it can be efficiency, but often it's to you need to take a more holistic approach. You know what I mean? The tax incentive is absolutely vital, but it shouldn't be the be-all and end-all of why you'd want to co-produce a film with, say, the European parks. Yeah, because, I mean, one of the key criteria if, is for accessing the money is that, is that there is a cultural test here, that it should have some benefit in terms of either, you know, in terms of promoting Irish culture or in terms of, it can't just be Irish employment, it has to, there has to be a little bit more to it than that. So, I mean, that, do you see that people want to work with Ireland? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's quite amazing, and it is actually a bit of a responsibility. Quite a lot of the producers who might be looking to shoot in Ireland have very little experience of production. We have a huge amount, and that's a huge kind of benefit. So, actually, you know, we can help them sort of navigate, uh, you know, all those structures. And that is, I think, is a skill as well that we have as producers or as exec producers on the creative co-production kind of level. Because just depending on how you set up a production, you know, you may be end, end, ending up making it very difficult for you to hit those marks, which are six months later. I mean, all the financing in Europe is application driven, unfortunately, at this kind of level. Sometimes I feel I'm not homo sapiens, I'm homo applicans. <laughs> uh, you know, and you have to hit all these kind of deadlines, and if you miss one, your whole project might just be put back in a queue. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that, but it does come back to, as well, it comes back to, to trust, are you going to have some fun with these people? Like, you know, like the fees you might manage to generate out of these projects are not necessarily huge, so you are hoping for some upside. In a service production, you normally don't have any share of any income from the project. In co-productions, you should, and if you're working with Screen Ireland, they will insist that the position of the Irish producer or co-producer is respected and protected. I mean, that's the job for the producer, but Screen Ireland are very strong on trying to you know, s sustain that role and not to confuse what is a service production with what is a genuine creative co-production. So just the simple words are, how do you add value? That's the question, and there are many, many answers to that in creative co-production. Now, Shun, you would see that, and you would have both, you would have the creative co-productions coming into Ardmore, and you have had service productions essentially with night flyers in, in Troy. So would you, you see, Yeah. Would you, I mean, is there is there a model that, you see it works best for you, is it just a case that if they're in giving us money, that's... <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's important to make that distinction between service production and, 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 uh, other, and otherwise. Um, my main business is service producing. I, I am not the service producer, I am the, I'm the facilities provider. So my, I do sell Ireland. Yeah. So when I'm in Los Angeles, I'm selling, of course, Ultimately, I want productions to come into my studio space, but it starts with what we can offer here. You know, they're not just going to come for the stages. They're going to come because of the tax break, because there's a bit of a crew, and of course, that the studio facilities, because we're talking about projects of big scale. Um, and then at the same time, well, Troy has just been 
uh, you know, we've just had one production and we're about to invite another one in now, but um, in Ardmore we've been there for 60 years and so Ardmore has been like this, you know. <laughs> Everybody knows there's a bit of history with Ardmore. I've just been there for seven years, so. <laughs> um, I do encourage indigenous producers to come into Ardmore if I have the space to offer them. And I, I, I'm always delighted to see uh, Irish producers coming in and asking me how I got space, and even if it's just for a location base or whatever. And I do encourage um, uh, Irish producers to consider um, using a studio space because it's not in our DNA to build a set and you know to hire a, a construction shoot, go onto a stage and build a set and have control over your shoot in that way. So I see both of them, but of course my bread and butter is going to be the large scale productions coming in. Yeah, I mean, and and that's that's essentially the bread and butter for the industry at large as well, mm -hmm. because we're seeing a huge amount of upskilling within the, the the participants, the people who are working on these large international scale yeah. uh, productions. Like Vikings being around for six years has led to a huge increase in the amount of people who have been trained through from inception to now being fully... Yeah, I think, I think skills development is one of the major issues in the industry at the moment and it's going from live action to animation. Animation has a dearth of uh, uh, skills available as well and uh, certainly from setting up Troy uh, which is based for you, those of you who don't know Troy is a studio that's based in Limerick. Limerick you wouldn't traditionally associate with the film industry and everybody thought it was a bit bonkers to do it but however we're there we did it and the challenge was certainly the, the crew base or lack of so we tackled that from the get-go you know we went in we we found uh, craftspeople we undertook uh, conversion courses with them and screen skills ireland were extremely supportive in that process as were the local uh, third level education institutions universities training you know whatever um, and, and it was a, it was a very positive experience, and we would we would set ourselves a target between sort of set up to twenty twenty three of having eighty percent local crew base. We're currently at thirty, which I think is is pretty good for for first year. So we will gradually build up that skills base, and the um, the level the size and scale of Troy by. Sort of October this year, I will have 100,000 square feet of sound stage space, which is pretty big. So it invites in those m much bigger scale projects than we have ever seen here in Ireland. And so that in itself demands a level of skills. And I think it's a really, really exciting time for the industry here in Ireland. There are so many opportunities now to train and and provided I can keep bringing a pipeline in, then it's, you know, and more studios are built or whatever, who knows, uh, you know, we're not the only people building studios, apparently. But, the, you know, the more that we can keep that pipeline going, the, the more there is that career progression and training, <coughs> the louder for people to move, move up in the industry as well, which is very important. Yeah, and I mean, what you've had with, with Troy is that you had Netflix in there with, 
with Nightflyer. So you see, well, actually, it was NBC Universal. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they, who then sold it on to Netflix, Netflix for, for yeah. international yeah. distribution. So is that a case that you're seeing that this fragmentation of the industry in some ways, the, the, the change in screen, is then creating new opportunities for in that space? Yeah, I, th I think that for me, the huge difference in the marketplace are the uh, are the streamers. So mm -hmm. Netflix, um, of course, Amazon, and now we have Apple and Disney entering the fray with Disney Plus and and Apple with their uh, offering, and uh, many others like well, you know, other other services. So they have entered the marketplace with dollars that are, in my opinion, new dollars and, in a sense, because they're coming from a subscription base that wasn't there before. And we're moving from that traditional model of, well, let's see how this season goes on whatever channel it is and see if we pick it up for another season. Now, that still applies, but it's a different <coughs> process now. And it's not, it's not as much advertiser-dependent uh, it's more about um, you know continuing pipeline of content. So I think that coupled with what I said already, it's the opportunities are are immense for us. So then, in the in the post-production sphere, you would see both sides of it as well. You would see the indigenous production, co-productions, co as well as the service productions. And I mean, yeah. that, that it it's it's a model that I mean, you can sell Ireland just as a post-production facility. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I suppose I, I come at the very end of the, the line of uh, co-production, nearly. Yeah. Um, and I'm probably a good example of somebody who's benefited very much from the co-production model. Um, career development, and skill <coughs> development, um, and anybody else. I'm, I'm audio post-production mainly. Uh, but uh, yeah, I... I I, you could, if the co-production thing didn't exist, we uh, would be working on much smaller um, indigenous uh, projects continually. Um, so we've had a chance to work with foreign directors and bigger scale uh, projects continually as well. So um, it's uh, the the co-production thing is kind of funny for the post-production audio post-production. In the sense where something where something looks good for a producer on paper, um, can be a little problematic uh, when it gets to down to the ground. Whereas, for example, say your uh, your sound edit is done in, uh, for example, Belgium, or, and then you're mixing it in Ireland, which you do get those jobs kind of split up the odd time, and there may be a sort of. A, Difference of opinion in quality levels, so what would be standards, or sort of hitting standards, um, and that's when, and, and also sort of responsibility, i.e., um, you might have a crew in Luxembourg or Belgium or whatever uh, who finished on the job, and then you have a problem here in Ireland, and there's nobody to sort of stand over their work, so you have to kind of fix that, and but that's a very small portion of the co-production thing, but it's the, they're the ones that you remember. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's an absolutely beneficial, um, beneficial model, I'd say, yeah. But then, so what you're talking about there is potential sort of barriers as well. So, you know, you're yeah. dealing with companies or entities in a different country who have different legislation and also have different languages and all yeah. the rest. And so you are going to face 
Yeah, the, the communication may be an issue, and yeah, as I said, the standard levels that you, you're expecting um, may be different. Um, and also, you know, people, the, the other smaller uh, co-producers are, the, the, the countries can be very, very busy. So they can be on a, on a treadmill, really, of uh, doing projects and just passing them on. So you, you may find that there's a, you know, uh, lack of sort of ownership, as I said, sort of responsibility going there, where you, if you was all in the one place, um, you, you wouldn't have that. So, yeah. so then, Dave, that would be on, on you then as the Irish producer to keep that in check. <laughs> well, <laughs> a little bit. Yes, David. Yes and no. Um, it was interesting. I remember once, this was a long time ago, like a, like a very long time ago. I remember. <coughs> A producer, who shall be nameless, but he was from Rome, and he rang me up. Saying, David, 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 we are all in this together. <laughs> I remember he said that, and I had to say to him, "Well, we are, but you know, what is it that you have done, and what is it?" <laughs> so, in a sense, we are. But it's very important, and that's another reason to have, you know, just on the contract side of things, if you're a producer, yes, you're all hopefully, and this takes a long time, you're trying to make the same film, you have to decide what kind of control and authority you have. And it's one thing to have control and authority in a contract or not, but sometimes just if you have a lot of experience and if you feel that people are going to listen to what you say, that's often enough in a way. You don't actually need it because, you know, it isn't really about a contract, it's about all of you trying to make the same thing. But in that case, there's a line from a Robert Frost poem, which is very important for co-production. He's got a line in one of his poems, he says, good fences make good neighbours. <laughs> and it's very wise. So you need to be very clear what it is you're offering to the production. You also need to be very clear what you're expecting the other person to offer and where the final lines of responsibility lie. And then obviously, I mean, you know, that sounds easy, it's actually not. I was involved in a production which actually, you know, ran into a legal difficulty between uh, a lead producer and, uh, and a producer director. I wasn't part of that contract, I was kind of, you know, I just said, no, I don't really want to be part of this entire contract. But the film was delayed for 18 months until that problem was sorted out. And I had to wait. And I had my own responsibilities here, to my funders here. So I had to manage that, which was a kind of a tricky sort of technical thing. Uh, and financially, it exposed me to a risk that I didn't even think existed. But it was a very big risk. It was like close enough to half a million euro. That was a big risk, which I was not expecting. So. You know, I'm just saying, um, uh, I'm not trying to put you off, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, yes, you have to add value, you have to know very clearly what it is you can offer, and then you have to just spend a little bit of time thinking about what the downside might be, and maybe talk to people who know a little bit more than you do about what really a downside might be before you decide to sign up for something. But all this should only be coming from a position that you really feel, number one, you can add value, 
Number two, and that value is creative and financial. And number three, that in return for you adding that value, you're getting a reasonable share of the, the revenues, if there are any. And almost kind of just as important when you're starting off, the profile. The profile. Like, there are some productions which will happen which are structured as co-productions and yet one country will almost claim entire ownership of it in the international marketplace. And that can be very irritating. Uh, and it does happen more often than you would think. It isn't necessarily done out of malice. It's just the way things are. You know, People just kind of move on. So, um, so all of those things are important. I'm, I'm not sure if I've even remotely answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. I mean, it's, it's, the thing is that because you've, you've, been, you've been involved with companies across Europe and across the world in, in terms of things, is it, do you find that there's any of our partners that are easier to deal with than others? I mean, country-wise, is there ones that we sync up better with? Um, I think Scandinavia is very easy. I think Scandinavia is very easy because... I think sort of countries that have a relatively simple structure, kind of Germany is quite easy. But ultimately, um, we normally co-produce under what I'd call like either, you know, UK or Irish law. So the contracts do tend to be very, very detailed. The whole closing of the money can take a long time. In Europe, it's a bit quicker. But then again, all the funders are perhaps a little <coughs> more trusting in a European environment. Like, it is easier to get the money quicker in Europe. Whereas here, you really need to prove to all your financiers that you've been closed the deal before you do it. You know what I mean? But I think Scandinavia, Germany, I think France is difficult. Spain is incredibly difficult. I mean, it's possible, but it is just hard because it's quite kind of volatile. Uh, like the background to their structure is quite volatile at the moment. Okay. So then, is there is there anything that each of you would change about the way that we do? It? Would you would you change the way that, that we're currently structured in terms of cooperation? Because I mean, Brexit is obviously a huge issue that's coming down, and it means that we do have to look at away from the UK in certain for certain projects. Is there is there something that we should be doing, David? Do you see? Well. No, I just think we need to be very good at what we're doing, whether the Brexit is there or not. I mean, you know, I don't. I've been offered money for mentorship where breakfast, where Brexit is concerned, but because I don't know what on earth is going to happen, <laughs> like I, I'm spending no time thinking about it, which is possibly a bad thing because I just don't know. You know, I think. I think it's important to try to have a sustainable company. So I think structurally, I know Screen Ireland are looking at this. I know they've looked at it in the past. But I think it's important to try and put some structures in place, you know, be it slate funding or company development funding or stuff that kind of encourages you to actually be able to say no to stuff. I think that's kind of important, particularly, particularly when you're starting off. Like, I can say no to things. Uh, and I do say no to things, but and to have the time then 
to do what I say you're supposed to do, which is to add value. And adding value can take time. So I think, like, structurally, I think that that would be good. I think that it would be great if there was more funding from our local broadcasters to co-fund what they're doing. Like, it, it is interesting in a European context. In a European context, if you're co-producing with Germany or, or for that matter, with France, yeah. like, TV pre-sales plays a huge part in the value that you're going to get from those countries at the time that you're raising finance for those films. You can't really offer that here. No. You know what I mean? And that's, so, you know, and also you can't put it all on Screen Ireland. You know what I mean? So the infrastructure needs to kind of, to, to grow a bit. And I think that that's a, a weakness of the structure. So just two things. One is, I think, to allow the companies to, if they are actively co-producing, to make sure that there's, you know what I mean, or to help the companies manage their affairs in such a way that they can have a sustainable sort of base, maybe afford to say no a little bit more often. And secondly, to try and encourage a little bit more funding, particularly into feature film and long-form drama, which is what we're all kind of talking about here. I don't think we should just be relying on a tax break. I think it's more important that this becomes part of the DNA, that these films that we are co-producing, if we are adding value, bringing Irish talent to the table, these things should be getting, uh, should be getting um, a profile in our local market, be that in the cinema or on TV. Okay. Uh, can I open it up then to audience questions? Yes. Uh, can you wait for the microphone, please? <laughs> in Ireland if you're looking at, you know, so you have to, there's a necessity to go abroad and look for another funder. I think it, once you want to go above a million in the budget, you're not going to get it here in Ireland. You're going to have to look somewhere else. So that's that's one of the necessities, starting point as well. And I think when you go into, you know, um, for the UK Irish, we very similar rates in, you know, the UK and Ireland. I think we're, you know, we're probably cheaper than London in a way. But more yeah, not clear not because no. of fringes, but oh, let's okay, not okay. get into that. <laughs> <laughs> Just taking us but then you get into the 32% versus 25%. Anyway, there's lots of uh, uh, fluctuations in that. And that's working out with that as well. But 
remember, a tax credit only works for 80% of your overall spend. So you have to actually go to look for it. If you want to, either you lose that 20% and you're only getting, uh, so you, if you do the 100% of your sheet and posts and everything in Ireland, you only get 80% or 32%. So you do, and it does encourage you to look for another European co-production partner or, and, or spend elsewhere. So, you know, it is always worth doing that, especially, and I think, you know, once you're going to spend above a million, you're going to need that person on board anyway. And then, uh, and you and to get a, the last 20% of his tax credit, you need to work with another country. Yeah. I would say one thing, though, which is very much in line with it, don't try and shoehorn. As soon as you're doing a split, uh, yeah. split-based film, um, your costs are automatically going to go up. Um, also, you don't necessarily need to do a treaty co-production. Um, you can just do a, a you know, a non-treaty co-production where two like-minded people are working together. Treaty co-productions can be pretty onerous. There should be a real justification and motivation for doing it, led by the creative, because it's a creative meeting of minds, it's the sharing of risk, but it's quite a complicated process with lots of lawyers getting involved as, you know, setting up. So any kind of split-based project should be absolutely motivated by the content of the film. Don't don't go overseas, shoot it in Ireland if you can shoot it in Ireland, shoot it in the UK, shoot it somewhere. Don't start flying backwards and forwards if you can help it. Thank you. Can I ask a question? Uh, we have up at the, the back there. Oh, yeah, thanks very much, uh, Simon and Keila. Uh, just expanding on the point about, about the opportunities arising from the, the streaming giant like uh, Netflix, Amazon, Disney, Apple. Mm -hmm. Um, if the panel could kind of outline what opportunities that provides for the industry and how does the Irish production team tap into those opportunities? The opportunities are in terms of incoming productions. So if you are a service producer, I think there's opportunity there. Um, Otherwise, the opportunities are in skills development. So the, the fact that these larger scale projects are, looking, you know, are coming in now, it means that we have a level of uh, production in the industry that, that's a bit of a step up and that therefore the, you know, the days of where you come in and you'll be doing everything, are, it's not quite going to work on projects of this scale. So it's very defined departments a very defined set of skills. So it, it focuses people entering the industry to be saying, what is it I really want to do? Because there, you know, you, there isn't really the scope of, I mean, people come to me all the time saying, I want to work in the film industry. And you go, well, what part of the industry do you want to work in? Like creative, production, distribution, you know, there's, it's, it's everywhere, you know? So I think that's where it is, it's in the level of opportunity for development of skills, or if you're a producer, if you want to get into the service production side of the business, as opposed to purely creative. And some producers do both. What I'd also say is, on, on, um, especially with Netflix, um, a lot of our US clients have really strong corporate social responsibility departments. Um, so we're certainly finding in the UK, and I'm sure the same over here, that um, when Netflix um, start working in a country, um, they will undertake a lot of training themselves. So we have a lot of um, schemes running with Netflix where they're training production accountants when they're 
and they'll come to us and say, right, we want to go and shoot in Liverpool, can you please introduce us to the local film office up there? And that's definitely something which really yeah. echoes what you're saying. There are real opportunities yeah. to work in partnership with them. Um, so it becomes, yes, it's still servicing, absolutely it is, but it's more of a, a partnership where they're leaving a legacy. We've had that with, with HBO in Northern Ireland as well. And we are finding, um, yes, they're servicing, but a lot of the US um, studios and TV companies all have an obligation um, to invest in training in diversity and inclusivity. So there's um, there's definitely a legacy from the production service. Yeah, and if you even look at well. it, uh, if you look at it in terms of what happened here with software, I mean we were a magnet for software companies in the likes of Google and mm -hmm. all setting up here, and the effect that that had on the indigenous software industry has been huge. You know, and I see the same thing happening yeah. to the benefit of indigenous producers here when everybody understands how it works, you know? And so that's where I see the opportunity. It's a bit of a broadening of the mind for it as well. Yeah. So. Sorry, one, one, last, one last question. Oh, sorry, Tony, yeah. I just want to, I'd be grateful to hear him, but you help me understand the, the post-production part of this um, a little bit more. Uh, is, is it that, uh, Post-production seems to me to be a way, like a really obvious entry in. So I'm, I want to understand it a little bit clearer the relationship. I understand service production. I understand the notion of tax breaks and you know and so on. So is, is, is co-production is post-production understood as an integral part of that from the mm -hmm. from the outset, yeah, or does um, post-production wait in a sense to see if there are crumbs from that process? <laughs> um, uh, is there an opportunity there that could be more developed? Uh, does post-production, in, in a sense, you know, does it trail, if you like, or, or mm -hmm. can it go out and look for that business? Um, well, as, as far as I know, uh, I'm, I'm purely at the very end of it, mm -hmm. so you guys may be able to answer that a bit better, but just from my experience, uh, I understand it's very much part of the start of the process as well. It's, it's part of the budgeting, so it, it's, I think it can change during the production. Um, David? Does it change? Because it, it seems to change a little bit when it's got to me. Yeah, um, I think it's a very good question. I do think that a lot of the, I think how the tax break is structured at the moment, it's kind of quite flexible. So you can have a production that's shooting in Europe and maybe it sort of says, oh my God, we, we need to do something. You know what I mean? We need to pull this back or you know what I mean? So they can decide quite late in yeah. the day. Mm. So then obviously, you're not involved then in the front end of all the discussions. Where it actually works is, let's say you have a, you know an Irish talent, maybe based in London or New York or anywhere, and they have a project that they really want to do, and maybe they're shooting in London or shooting in Paris or Scandinavia or whatever. And yet there's maybe enough Irish elements in it, there could be some cast members, there could be a DP, something like that. And then the, the pitch then would be, well, why don't you do the post-production, come back to see your family, <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's get a composer and all the grading will be happening in Ireland. So that can become, and often at that level, it's about a lifestyle choice. It's about what is it that the director and maybe the writer and the key creatives want so if you can get involved in that at the start, then maybe you can 
come up with you know like a metric that you're not just going to get a tax break you're going to get some creative co-production support you might get a tiny tiny pathetic broadcast pre-sale but you know then you're doing this thing you're adding value but you're also respecting what the creative the thing is at the start if you just leave it until the film is made then you won't get you know you won't have structured it as a creative co-production but that would only interest me if there was an upside in it and if the project I thought was exciting and was actually kind of, you know, worth my while, either creatively or financially, to be involved in it. And again, the cost of setting up these things, as was said there, these structures under the treaties, or really under most co-production structures, are not cheap. They take a long time to do. You know what I mean? You're talking 40,000, 50,000 euros just to play the game. You don't think it's that much, but by the time you're done, it's at least that much. And if you set up the wrong kind of co-production, then you lose focus. You know what I mean? You, could, you know what I mean? If you're splitting your shoot, particularly for a first-time or second-time feature film director, you as a producer are, you know, you're putting an awful lot of responsibility on that young man or woman normally to to take on a huge amount of management when really what they should be doing is focusing on making the best film that they can. Okay. I'd like to thank the panel today. This has been, it's been great. Uh, thanks very much.